Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. As a matter of fact, I have a wonderful evening planned. My date Gregory and I are going to the theater and then to a late night supper and dancing. Boy, does that bring back memories. Oh, are you recalling a similar evening, Woody? No, I just remembered your date called and canceled. <laughs> you want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me to discuss the second chapter in the three-part fourth season finale, he's the fifth Beatle. I'm sorry, I just got caught up in the numbers. Please welcome J. David Weeder back to the show. What's up, Dave? Ringo still owes me money. Letters <laughs> right. paid up, Ringo holding out. Come on, Starkey, cough it up. <laughs> All right, all right. Um, it's been a while since you've been on the show. I don't remember. Yeah. It's been a while since I, I this was, I was on season one of the season one episodes. Oh, it's been that long. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on much of anything. So yeah. um, life has been happening. Yeah. Okay. Um, quick hits. Um, thoughts about Frasier and thoughts about Woody. Those are the two new characters that weren't there the last time. I was talking to somebody. There was a conversation, and I realized that. Of the Cheers cast, the person who has had the most prolific, high-profile career was Woody Harrelson. Nobody would have bet on that. And also, of course, you have 11 years of Frasier stemming off of this. Nobody would have bet that either. And the fact that Kelsey Grammer makes Frasier his own to the point where he deserved the spinoff is a gift. Because you – well, we'll get to that. You don't necessarily see that on, on display here. Mm-hmm. And, I mean – Honestly, I, I, I kind of made the case, and as the series gets deeper into it, I, I would say, like, I think the other character besides Frasier, who might have been able to handle a spin-off sitcom of his own, is Woody. Um, again, taking it into a different direction, and by the time we get to the end of the series, he's kind of in a different situation. So I think it mm-hmm. would, that would have opened up some things, but just based on the strength of the character and Woody Harrelson, but obviously, like, he had... You know, like he he jumped into white men can't jump, and then natural, natural born, born killers. killers. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, to, his career like went went higher into Hollywood and also darker into some strange places. So yes, um, we're going to be talking about and and I have just as with Siskoid on the last episode, I have brought you on to this one in part for the Star Trek connection. Uh, to this part. So, uh, diving into uh, Season 4, Episode 25, Strange Bedfellows Part 2, written by David Angel, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, May 8th, 1986. Diane feared that Councilwoman Janet Eldridge, once again played by guest star Kate Mulgrew, would dump Sam as soon as she won re-election. But as Janet and Sam continue to date weeks later... Diane's real fear might be that the couple is all too serious. At night, when she's locking up the bar, Diane sees Sam and Janet come in. Rather than let her presence be known, Diane hides and eavesdrops on their conversation. Janet asks Sam about his past lovers, and he mentions Diane. Janet thinks a woman of Diane's intelligence and potential is squandering it working at the bar, and the best thing for Diane's personal and professional life might be to leave Cheers. Janet confesses that she's not only thinking of Diane's benefit, but also her own insecurities. She flat-out tells Sam that he should fire Diane to make her, Janet, feel better. 
The next day, knowing Sam's plan, Diane presents him with a resignation letter, or term paper maybe, based on the length. But feeling too betrayed by his callous acceptance of her quitting, Diane demands that Sam take the responsibility of firing her, which he does. She changes course instantly to protect herself and quits. She then delivers a farewell address to the bar, vowing that they will never see her again. A vow that she breaks two seconds later, thanks to Carla. All right, what did you think of this penultimate episode for season four? I watched all three of these back to back, so I really enjoyed it. I got into it's a real kudos to the show that the Sam and Diane will they won't they is still compelling four seasons in because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't know many other shows that could pull it off for that long. Especially since they answered the will they question at the end of the first yeah. season and then three years later are still going along with that. Yeah. Look at The Office, another great sitcom from a different era. Mm-hmm. Jim and Pam could not have stretched out this far and could not have worked. No, it's just yeah. the chemistry of the actors, the the sheer concept of it that has floated it and kept it afloat solidly. Phenomenal. And, and the way they, they hit it in this one. And really, I mean, this is as the final one, like kind of like put put this to the test uh, with this setup. And I think, I mean, I mean I'm going to be kind of jumping ahead right to the scene at the bar at night um, when when Janet is kind of putting this to Sam. I think the writers do a very interesting thing, and this was something I was talking about in the previous episode. Is that I I like Janet, like. Uh, Kate Mulgrew delivers a great performance as a character. Yes, indeed. But I like this character's insertion because we have had a a romantic foil for Sam in Frasier all of season three. And he was a great fit for Diane, and you think these two should probably be together, except mm-hmm. her heart belongs to Sam, the guy who is not the best for her long term. Um, but they just have that chemistry. Here and after that, we never really saw that the same situation reversed with Sam until now. He has a woman who is great for him professionally, personally. But I mean, he he kind of explains why he likes her in this episode, and we'll talk about that later. But being the foil, being the the character who is keeping our romantic leads apart from each other. It would be very easy to see Janet as the villain, as the antagonist, mm-hmm. um, especially when I mean she comes out and says, "I think you should fire her." She, I mean, she's trying to get Diane out of the show, and as the audience are like, "I don't like that. I want Diane to stay." So, the, like, you're making me, you're forcing me to pick sides, just like she's forcing Sam. But I think the writers were smart enough because, like, she kind of. She, she, you, you see the political machinations of how skilled she is, the way she's buttering him up, saying that this would be better for Diane at first. But then the way she confesses, and this is, I think, still partly manipulative in the way she admits that she's kind of jealous and kind of insecure. But I also think it's part true, based on what she admitted to Diane in the previous episode. I think Janet does love Sam, and I think she is being sincere when she's like, I'm just uncomfortable with you being that close to a woman you still love if that's going to be a thing between us. So I think that gives Janet some cover in being ostensibly the bad guy of this show now. <laughs> and, and, and it still keeps her likable. Some of it's Mulgrew's performance. Mm-hmm. Some of it is choices, like the, the conversation last episode between Diane and her. 
they hold on her after Diane leaves. And there's a moment where you're like, oh, she wasn't she wasn't just being political. She really does like Sam. Yeah. Just because yep. of that. Yeah. That brief hold on her. Right. Which exactly. she's reflecting. Yeah. And, and yeah, like you said, Mulgrew plays this well. You never dislike her. At least I didn't full on dislike her. But it takes you a little bit to have any trust in her. Right. She has to show you that side. And she does. Mulgrew expertly weaves that back and forth. Mm-hmm. You forgot to mention. Yes, there's a Star Trek connection. There's an ALF connection. <laughs> that's the other one. So yeah. So that we'll we'll get to him. Let's go through the teaser first because the, yeah, okay. the other <laughs> guest star for this episode, uh, one of our one of our occasional oh. celebrity guest stars. Um, Sam comes into the bar and he's like, "Sorry, I'm late. I was you know up late night. We had dinner with." He's like, and he starts to mention that it was with a famous person, and Diane is like tired of him, you know, name dropping all these people that he's mingling with now in his new romance and kind of like just, you know, playing it off like how sick she is and part of this is her jealousy and her her anger and her disappointment with Sam but just kind of, you know, just poking fun at him and about him overreacting to this and she walks off and then through the door walks then Senator Gary Hart of Colorado who like very soon after this episode would um, not run for re-election in the Senate because he had presidential aspirations for the second or third time. Um, and it, a big guy, like a big name. So much so that two years ago, Hugh Jackman played him in a movie. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> there was a movie coming out called The Front Runner, which was all about how Gary Hart was supposed to be the, the you know, the, presidential nominee to go up against George W. Bush, but one of the first real serious politicians taken down by, like, sex scandals and tabloid journalism and media and stuff like that. Uh, I I had it in for um, my uh, trivia thing for this episode. It's a little-known fact. Exactly one year after this episode aired, which would have been May 8th, 1987, Gary Hart suspended his presidential campaign amidst the growing scandal of his having an affair. Oh, I didn't um, know it was one year. That's awesome. Well, yeah, he, not awesome, but yeah. that's interesting. Um, he I got don't want to promote back, extramarital he, he affairs. He got back in the race later in 1987, but by then pretty much the damage was done, and he was never he, – he, I don't think he won any of the primaries or even came close. No. By then it was Dukakis. I actually do remember that election, sadly, and Gary Hart's – I'm a little bit older than you, so I don't know where you were, but – It's actually – it's the first presidential election I, I'm kind of aware of, like that I knew mm. my parents were voting and they, they talked a little bit about the candidates. Honestly, part of this was – no kidding – it's Gary Shandling's show had a, the, an election <laughs> yes. day special about this, where all of his like all of his polling data, all of his returns, they did all of these experiments, and everything said Dukakis was going to win, and he projected it. And like the president mm-hmm. of the network, who was played by like one of Elaine's bosses from Seinfeld, had to come in and just say, "No, it's Bush. You're insulting them. This is terrible. You have to change your mind." And he he refused to concede <laughs> that, that Dukakis didn't win. But yeah, so that's that's most of my memory of that election. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so Gary Hart comes in and he mentioned he brings Sam's jacket. He's like, "You left this in the limo," um, and he mentions that they were trivial pursuit partners. And he's like, "Thanks, Sam, for helping him out with all of the sports questions." And Sam's like, "Well, that's my area. Thank you for all of the other questions." Yeah, <laughs> um, and, they and give see, Gary- I've never seen Sam as unintelligent. He definitely he has the street smarts, and as the series goes on, they dumb him down a little bit more. If this was a trivial pursuit thing in the governor's mansion with people of of Gary Hart's stature, I'm thinking he might have been a little bit out of his league for some of those questions. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and then you know Norm 
naturally tries to get a beer out of him. Um, but then once the senator leaves, Diane just sees the, him, like, just as he's about to leave, and she freaks out, and she's, like, giggling and, and, like, making a big fuss about it until she realizes the entire bar is staring at her, and she tells Sam that's how ridiculous he looks. <laughs> so. And then one thing she said was, it's the next president of the United States, which I laughed out loud at. Yeah, she's like, could, could have been president, may still be president. Yes, yeah, that was... Whew, yeah, but I mean that's that was the big deal. I mean, this show will get this show has had Tip O'Neill on it. It will have, I think it does actually have John Kerry and Michael Dukakis on later episodes mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so after the teaser or after the opening credits, uh, we get uh, Fraser comes in with <laughs> yeah, Max Wright retur- recurring again as Jim Fleener, the politician who ran against Janet, and as Woody says, took a shellacking. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> got crushed. Um, and you, so you mentioned the Alf thing. This is something that I again I talked about in the last episode. I know that I watched Alf. I think for multiple years, but I don't remember anything about it other than uh, the Max Wright character being the dad and they had a cat. Like I don't remember any anybody else who was in the show or even the makeup of the core nuclear family. Um, it's just it's it's sort of. Like, I, I watched it. I know I watched it, but I don't remember it. So, again, you were a little bit older than me. You were probably watching it a little bit more closely. What do you remember of Alf? I can tell you it doesn't hold up. But, yeah, I remember Max Wright's character, Willie. And, and I read the Marvel <laughs> comics, so I remember all the characters. But Willie would drive me crazy because Wright has this really drawn out, not Walken, just really like he can't get the words out of his mouth. Like yeah. delivery of lines. yeah. And it would drive me crazy. And he, I thought it was a, an affectation for the character. No, he's like that here. He was like that in uh, The Sting 2 because, you know, The Sting needed a sequel that didn't have any <laughs> of the principal cast of the original. That was just him. And apparently in real life, he was a little bit creepy. Yeah. yeah. You can – you'll feel free to Google that. Just don't Did, do it at work. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know enough about that. But OK. We're moving on then. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, – Frazier's trying to make him feel better about his loss and everything. He's like thinking about the good parts of the campaign. <laughs> and Jim says, well, you know, there was Diane. And Frazier just gets <laughs> cold and hard. And you see a little shade of Sideshow Bob in his reaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just like, Diane. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, yeah, guy could go far with her. And he says he's thinking about asking her out. And Frazier's like, well, that's very open-minded of you considering her operation. <laughs> <laughs> and and he mentions that Diane had a sex change operation, and now, I mean, considering Cheers was occasionally guilty of gay panic jokes in uh, especially like later series, and but here they they're talking about a transgender transsexual operation, and it's actually handled kind of uh, well, like appropriately, like you know, because when when Diane walks in, Jim is shocked, but he's like. I think you're such a courageous person to do that. Um, and he does make the about he's like saying, he's like, now that I know what to look for, I can tell. And, yeah, and I can Frazier, see it now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, and Diane knows exactly what Frazier did too. is the, yes, one of the yes. better parts. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, probably the worst part is that Jim's up like attraction to her now is completely uh, like, is completely evaporated. You know, he doesn't want anything to do with her and he can't get out of there fast enough. But the fact that he's not rude or disgusted to her face, like openly, I think is somewhat progressive in the context of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
for for a show in the mid eighties mm-hmm. on network television, yeah, this is light years ahead. Yeah, because even by the time Friends came around, gay panic was huge. Yeah, I, I think I, I mean honestly, I think it was worse in the nineties than it was in the eighties because mm-hmm. um, there's. They they deal with homosexuality better in the first season of Cheers than they do in the last season. Uh, and then you're right, yeah. So, so as soon as he leaves, Diane just looks at Fraser and she's like, "You told him you've been telling people I've had a sex change operation again, haven't you?" He's like, "No, no." He guessed. Um, uh, Sam and Janet come in. They're both dressed to the nines. The crowd oohs and ahs, and Janet's like, "Well, thank you." And what he's like, "Oh, you look nice too." Um, yeah. <laughs> Sam has to change a tie and like Diane says you've logged a lot of miles in your tuxedo and he says something he's like yeah I'm getting used to the monkey suit and she said ah, I never realized why they called it that until now so there's some, some bitterness and some resentment now from her end uh, that he's picking up on without perhaps knowing why um, and she mentioned that you know she's not jealous because she's got a very nice date with she say they're going to the theater, like dinner, dancing, a show, and everything. Like and, a bougie night out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woody goes, well, that brings back memories. And she's like, oh, do you have a similar evening plan? And he's like, no, I just remembered that your date called and canceled. <laughs> <laughs> um, then Norm comes in, and this is the first part of a, a subplot that will continue into the next episode about um, he, his, his sister-in-law, his, Vera's sister Donna, is staying with him, and as he describes, she's kind of an exhibitionist, you know, walking around in skimpy clothes, like leaving the door open when she's in, like, the shower or something like that, and kind of showing in. Of course, Cliff and the other guys have feel no sympathy for his situation. They would love to yeah. be in a similar situation. D- D- Diane is, like, at the bar, and Janet like, kind of approaches her, and now this is the first time since they're... they're conversation the last episode and Janet says obviously you were wrong about Sam and I and Diane corrects her grammatically and says Sam and me and Janet hits on that she says that too that was some awesome wordplay yes. that was a great moment yeah like that little like little dagger right there um, and setting up the conversation that'll come later when she's in the, when Janet's with with Sam in the after hours um, and Diane is hurt and she feels low and Frazier brings her a shot and sits down next to her and he's like he's throwing out all of these like tough guy lines like that sounds like a pulp character he actually says why am i talking like broderick crawford um like he's from highway patrol um oh thank you yeah yeah just like, like movies and tv shows like that from the 40s and 50s so and he tries to he tries to buck her up he's like sam can't be happy with her she's too she's out of his league she's too sophisticated he's he can't be keeping up with her um and diane I has apologized for breaking Fraser's heart so many times, but this time feels a little bit more substantive because this is the first time when she's as low as he has been. So she says she wishes there was some way that she could make it up to him. And he, he's like, marry me, bear my children, let me die in your arms. Yeah. Which, finally, I do believe this is the last time he's really, he really makes an effort to get her back because um, we will move on by next season. And we get a little bit of character building here because she's, I was thinking more along the lines of making fudge. And he says, I like your fudge. And Kelsey Grammer's delivery of that, I mean, you, the broken heart is there and sort of the you can see he is moving on a little bit. He's he's resolved it. Yeah. And perhaps and, now being able to commiserate and seeing her as, as low as she is kind of, I, I don't know, maybe the the obsession has receded a little bit and he just kind of, he's more able to see her differently perhaps i don't know hmm. 
so yeah, so Diana's locking up when Sam and Janet come in, and she sees them kiss, and it's awkward, so she decides to hide in the hallway, and then tries to sneak out, but she gets stuck behind, like, crouching down below the bar. <laughs> so it's a great bit of uh, sort of voyeurism where the audience can see her eavesdropping on them, and they don't know that they're, she's down there, even as Sam is brushing pretzels and crumbs off of the bar that are falling down into, into Diane's hair, which is nice. Good bit of physical comedy. Mm. And that would be tricky because those marks aren't easy to hit when you can't see. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Janet kind of Feeling this out, we know where this is going now. She asks Sam about his longest relationship. Um, curiously, they, they do kind of skip right on by his marriage. Um, although I guess it is per, it's possible that maybe he was only married for a couple of weeks or months or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and did Diane, did date Diane longer? Cause he says this is hard to believe. In fact, nobody could believe it. I can't even believe it, but I was with Diane. And she says, yeah, that explains a few things, actually. <laughs> and Sam goes, well, that's Diane. Unbelievable and explaining things. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does sum her up, too, is the yeah. sad thing. And Janet's tactic here is she's like, why do you still employ her? Like, like, does she owe you money? And he's like, no. He's like, would you lose customers if she left? And he's like, no, I'd probably get a few back, which yeah. is a nice cut back to Diane. I mean, as much as I want to say, like, you know, like, we're, we're – they, they're trying to do as good a job of, like, you know, not making uh, Janet the bad guy. I mean, she does speak fairly lowly about the life of a cocktail waitress in this episode. And Sam does, too, later on when he's talking to Carla, even though he realizes halfway through his speech who he's talking to. And do you think that when Janet is talking about Diane, like the, the talented, lovely woman, do you think she's being genuine that maybe she feels Diane is being held back as well? Because I'm... <sighs> right on the fence so i mean i think i mean she she mentioned in the previous episode that that sam has talked about diane so she's got to know some of diane's credentials and must think that you know she, she ought to be able to get a job in academia or any other field um the fact that she is still a cocktail waitress must speak to some <laughs> Well, in her, in her mind, some deficiency of character. I mm, does she legit think that Diane would be better off somewhere? I don't know. I don't know if she cares that much. She just wants her out. Mm. Uh, but you're, it sounds like you're on the fence too, because it's like she might have some genuine complimentary things to say, but kind of a backhanded compliment sort of way. I think there's a there's probably enough mutual respect of just Diane's. Uh, intelligence, education, um, and, and capabilities, and, and and you know potential. Um, like, I mean, as opposed to, I, I don't know, the type of waitress other than Carla, the type of waitress that Sam would normally want to hire. Mm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Janet probably thinks that Diane is squandering her her intelligence, her education, her potential in this place and would be better off somewhere else. And there's enough of a, a, enough of the politician to use that as leverage for Sam uh, to get him to think, sort of like an inception level, to get him to think that this is his good idea, that he's doing this for her benefit. I could see that because Sam's all Twitter-pated, so. <laughs> right, and because he's never, he's never wanted to question that because whether there's a romantic future or not at this point, 
I, I'm sure he thinks of Diana as his best friend and wouldn't want her to leave. But, uh, but and, and Janet kind of points out there's a, perhaps a bit of selfishness in that. And I, uh, what, how does she describe it? Being pushed out of the nest. Yeah. You know? And she's not entirely wrong. No. no. Of course, you lose you know a big key part of your sitcom, but right. if this were the real world... Yeah. I mean, that... We don't want to spoil too much for the season finale for next next year, but that, that <laughs> does become a major issue. And yeah, that's yeah. So I, I think that is that's what her hook is. But then she has to kind of confess that okay, I do have the uh, my my reasoning, my mo- my justification is sound, but I do have to confess a selfish motive motive behind it. So. And again, I can't tell if it's if it's manipulation or genuine. Right. That and Mulgrew plays it ambiguous as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next day, when we come back to the bar, uh, Sam, he, when he's talking to Carla, and she's like, "What is going on with the with this? You know, uh, with this broad?" And Sam says that he's having the best time of his life with Janet. She makes him feel important. She doesn't make him feel bad that he's not as smart as her, which. Was kind of, is kind of a thing that we, we've seen, like with uh, with Diane, and like the last episode, Diane made a big deal about Sam thinking that a finger bowl was lemon soup. Um, so <laughs> yes. she she was always trying to change Sam, always trying to make him smarter, uh, more artistic, more you know, like like she loved she she was never comfortable with Sam who he was, and Sam at least makes it feel like Janet is accepting of who he is. Perhaps initially because she needed that politically, but it's still, you know, he, he's happy with that. And that's why I think this is this is one of those crux things where it's like this is this could be the best, most productive and and positive relationship Sam Malone might ever have, but for the fact that he he's in love with the one woman that he really shouldn't <laughs> be in Diane, and it's the same thing with her and Fraser. Yeah, and it's actually put him back in the public spotlight. So there's a lot going on with that. There's yeah. a lot of positives, yeah. and just the one negative: he's not in love with the right woman. He he just he just shared a limo with a man who could have been president, you know, given other circumstances. So that's a, yeah. that's a big deal. Uh, Norm comes back in, tell, saying that there are even bigger problems with Donna uh, because Vera is going away to tend to her sick aunt. So she's got a family crisis, but Donna is not going with her. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I guess I mean there there could be any number of of brothers and sisters in Vera's family, but like, wouldn't like the aunt might be Donna's mother, <laughs> or at least her aunt? Like, why wouldn't Donna go too? Why would Vera go and leave her sister with Norm when she's going to a family emergency? And I didn't question it because I thought it was a setup for a joke. It, yeah. it sounds like a perfect setup to a, a raunchy dad joke. Yeah, yeah, but it is a setup more for stuff that'll play out in the next episode, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for when Diane comes in and she and she's going to resign, and, and Fraser picks up on that, he says he's willing to take her on as his secretary, um, and he's <laughs> he's going to fire his current secretary because she, he caught her in a typo. So she's yeah. history. But she's like that woman has been in your family for years. This is another one of those little things that is a contradiction between Frasier in Cheers and Frasier in his own show. It's like the the setup of his family and yeah, that and one of many contradictions right. that we forgive. Yeah. D- 
Diane's resignation letter slash farewell is like ten pages long, and, and it apparently includes a graph. Yes, <laughs> and a chart, the, charts and chart. graphs. Of course, it does. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I thought. I think I've written like term papers that were shorter. Yeah, yeah, and same as like flipping through the pages, like how like. How, do you expect me to read all of this right now? And finally, he's just like, are you quitting? And she's like, doesn't it say that in page five? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really, she's so hurt by the fact that he doesn't fight for her. Like, she's, she came in there prepared, maybe intellectually, knowing that that was what he was going to do, that he would have chosen Jan. But, like, really, in her heart, she was hoping that he would have said, no, I don't want you to go. Either I'm choosing you over Janet or I'm going to try and make it work, but he's not willing to throw her aside like that. But when she gives him the out, he's like, this is great. This is the easiest thing for me. And Diane is hurt by that. And she says, no, everybody always makes things easier for you. Well, I'm not going to do that. You have to do this yourself. And she's like, after everything we've been through, I don't think you have the guts to fire me. And he goes, he does. (laughs) So So she's like, Is she justified in feeling that way? I think so. Gosh, she's put in the time, she's put in the effort, and yeah, I I mean, I kind of agree. I just wanted to see what your take on that was. I mean, not not just as a, not just as an employee who's been there off and on for, you know, three, four years now, you would think your boss would be a little bit more, you know, what can I do to get you to stay if it was really that important? Mm -hmm. But just as a, as a friend, as a former lover, have a, have a deeper conversation about it. It's actually like come to this honestly and talk about it. Um, so I think she's like, no, you, she's going to actually make him do do the hard work of choosing one over the other, and probably it, it might just be his competitiveness over anything. Like when she challenges him, he rises to it. Um, but then she has to defend herself because she's like, too late, too late. I already quit. And he's like, no, no, no. You told me to fire you. So uh, she, this becomes their whole thing of like who who fired who, who quit who. And this like recalls their breakup in season two. She actually points that out. She's like, the last time we left, there was some ambiguity about who was responsible. <laughs> she's like, well, legal precedent says the written word is takes place is is supersedes you know any verbal contract or something. So and I've got this documentation. And she heads out, and before she can leave, because it's Diane, she has to address the entire bar, saying that she is resigning. And you got to wonder, are there people there who have never been in Cheers before? Like, if you went to a Chili's or a TGI Friday's <laughs> one day, and you just had, you saw some woman not dressed like an employee there, who just stood up by the door and announced that she was quitting and you would never see her again, like... That would be an odd sight, right? <laughs> yeah, I would just kind of go back to my tortilla soup. Unless unless the woman said, I feel God in this Chili's tonight, and then I'm like, I understand that reference. <laughs> She'll never be in a Chili's again, but that's right. I nestled a sitcom reference in the middle of a discussion of a sitcom. Too meta. You're welcome, world. Too meta. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so she gives her whole farewell address, and she's like, you will never see me again. And she she steps out. As Carla is right there next to the door, and give it a t- two heartbeats, and then the door just kind of cracks open as Diane realizes she left her jacket on the coat hook, and she's reaching for it and reaching for it and reaching for it, and Carla just grabs the coat hook and pulls it away, pulls it away, <laughs> pulls it, and it's so slow and so methodical the way they hold on this joke until Diane is like stumbling through the doorway trying to reach it while still keeping her head turned so that she can't see anybody 
and Carla just, hey, look, everybody, it's Diane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't they, know that I appreciated Carla when, when I was younger, when the show was airing. But now I think she is a magnificent character and Rhea Perlman is an underrated gem. When she is on, and there were, especially in some of the earlier season episodes, there were times when her caustic and acidic nature was kind of either unwarranted or just kind of a little bit too much. But once they got her right, when she's on, like, those, she hits so hard and so mm-hmm. well. Um, she actually, gosh, she got my she got my home run line in the last episode, and I'm, I'm going to give it away, but this is my favorite part of this episode, this final <laughs> beat. So Carla is two for two in, in the, 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 the three-part finale in giving my home runs. Just hey, everyone, Diane. Her, it's Diane. She's, she's like, hey, everyone, look, it's Diane. <laughs> Just, they just start looking at her and laughing and everything. And Diane throws the jacket over her head and runs out. Um, and we get this little, like, one second long half beat where Sam just kind of steps out of the office and watches her go. Um, and then it's to be continued, and we'll we'll pick up the finale next time. But, um, yeah, o- overall, what did you think about the, the episode? I mean, we're this is the middle chunk of a third, so it's kind of yeah. hard to judge the whole thing in... in Relation, but just looking at this episode as as a standalone chapter, it was satisfying. Even though it's the middle chunk of a third, in of in of itself, it was a satisfying episode. It had a lot of great beats, a lot of great, oddly enough, dramatic moments, just turns of phrases. And it every time I watch this show, it takes me back. Mm. And it's just like this was how comedy was was uh, not made, but perfected, crafted. Yeah, because this changed the way sitcoms work we wouldn't have the office without cheers and the interactions between these really perfectly cast actors the directors the writers and just that synergy mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh okay for norm's tab he had three beers this episode uh which brings him up to 373 for the series um for the employee of the week uh i thought diane i i'm gonna give i mean the it, almost every episode you could give it to Sam or Diane, but I just think Mm -hmm. Diane had a little bit more to do, especially some of the nonverbal cues when she's hiding and when she's sneaking around. Um, and then when she kind of like has to, to confront Sam in his office later on and then the finale. So I just think, yeah, Shelley Long did a great job in this one. I will have to agree. I mean, she really, it's not that she bared the whole weight of the episode, but she took the lion's share of it. And yeah, she totally did it with ease, with charm and, even though I technically don't like the character of Diane, I think she came across really well here. Yeah. Um, what was your home run or your uh, your highlight of the episode? What, was, what did you think was the best part? Uh, probably the now that I now that I know I can see it moment <laughs> from Jim. <laughs> yeah, that was good too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the the, the final bit with uh, with Carla po- pointing out Diane's there. Um, my, my runner up then was like right, right after your thing, after Jim leaves, when, when Diane just very, very casually and knowingly approaches Fraser. She's like, have you been telling people I had a sex change operation again? Just the, <laughs> the fact, again, like she knows what's going on. The fact that this is a routine thing now, like, like <laughs> just that, that says a lot. My runner up was in a similar vein. It's when Fraser says, I do like your fudge. And like I said, Kelsey Grammer. When he shows up, he shows up. Yeah, it was a cute moment. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Well, uh, thank you, Dave, for being my, my guest on this episode again. Uh, oh, I've got 
one more path to take us down. <laughs> I mentioned it off air, okay. but I have to take you down because if I'm going down the path, you're going to the path. Okay. So I talked about how comforting it is to watch Cheers and go back to the 80s. And that started a discussion in the office about age and also Star Wars because you also host a Star Wars podcast. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about going to the dentist. In the 80s, the dentist would gas you up no matter what they were doing. And they would give you these big headphones and put in a cassette. Mm. So the discussion started with my boss saying, yeah, I put in a Star Wars cassette. And I thought about my dentist and realized as I was getting gassed up, he played me Bill Cosby. Wow. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah. Bill Cosby yeah, and that, has, that has a certain resonance now that I wish didn't. I, I mean, I, I have to confess, like I – I loved the stand-up special Bill Cosby himself. That's um, the one I was listening to. <laughs> and I I watched that at a, a young age and I could I like memorized bits of that. And I remember being at a like a sleepover party with some friends uh, like I, I don't know how how old were we? 8, 9 or something like that. And like just up until until late at night when we were supposed to be sleeping, like until midnight, just like riffing and basically doing this performance, of, like <laughs> quoting Bill Cosby lines, and I just thought that was so brilliant, so genius, and yeah, yeah, that's just uh, that's that's, that's a thing now. So. That's a thing, yeah. I, I like <clears throat> there, there were so many things like with Cheers. I mean, I know many of the cast members. Kelsey Grammer and Woody Harrelson among them, who we, who we talked about, and and Kirstie Alley and others. They have some stuff in their past, some stuff in their present, um, <laughs> the stuff that we're just going to kind of like tiptoe around. But I remember thinking, like, if I ever found out that, like, like if Ted Danson had been taken down during, like, the whole Me Too summer and, like, a couple mm-hmm. years ago, or if, if something horrible came out about him or about Mark Hamill or something like that, like, that would like that would have shattered everything. Like, no, I could totally see that. Like, like I couldn't go for now. Blessedly, it turns out Mark Hamill is even better person than I than I ever imagined. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we'll, yeah. Thankfully, we, we I can keep going with the show for now. But oh, we could. I think you and I could sit in an episode and just gush about Mark Hamill. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, well, Dave, thank you, thank you for that that little indulgence, yeah. um, and thank you for being my guest on this uh, penultimate episode for season four. Uh, where else might people find you if they want to hear more from you? I have no idea right now. <laughs> right now, I you're hit between middle projects. age, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take it easy. I've hit all my milestones when I bought a house. I'm done. You know what I. Uh, I feel that going juggling like four or five podcasts and now just being able to focus on one is really relieving. Yes. <laughs> so, I dig it. Um, all right. Well, again, thank you for being on the show. And thank you to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford Wright from the Right On Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents, who sponsored this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite shows on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed, and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. You were going to fire me. And what have I done? I've made it easier for you. People have always made things easier for you. 
Well, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I withdraw my resignation. <laughs> Fire me, if you can, but I don't think you have the guts. After all we've gone through, the good times and the bad, I say you don't have the courage to fire me to my face. You're fired. Too late, I resign. No, no, you can't do that. 